Welcome to the Aftershock podcast. We chat about cancer, the word you never want to hear. I think there's a 50-50 chance that chemo will actually do anything. And so it's, yeah, it's a scary one. It is a scary one. The Aftershock podcast speaks to a variety of people that have experienced the ripple effect of a cancer diagnosis. Join us as we explore stories of lost loved ones and speak to those who have lived experience with the disease. I'm Susie Neat. And I'm Kim Landy. And this is the Aftershock Podcast. In this episode of the Aftershock Podcast, we speak to Emily, a cancer survivor three times over, founder of Bravery Co., new mother, and quite frankly, a force to be reckoned with. Emily talks to us about the adversity and triumphs of being diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of 27, and the huge weight of fertility and lifestyle decisions that had to be made at such a young age. Emily, do you want to tell us a bit about um, your first diagnosis and what age you were? Yeah, sure. Um, So it was a week before my 27th birthday um, and I had a lump uh, pop up underneath my collarbone, which I thought was just a lymph gland and it was totally normal. Um, And I remember I was riding the car with Dad somewhere and he's a GP and I was like, oh, yeah, I've got this weird lump, blah, blah, blah. Um, And... Normally, Dad doesn't get worried about things. Normally, Dad gives us very little medical attention because uh, I think he's just so bored of it by the time he gets home from work. Uh, but this time, he was like, um, I think that you should go get that checked out. And it's been up for a couple of weeks. Go do it, like, on Monday. Don't don't um, stuff around. So I went and had an ultrasound, I think, first, and then they pretty fast um, booked me in for a CT scan. And then I think I had the CT scan and then the morning and by um, the end of the day the doctor had called me and I always like I've worked in medical centres worked at my dad's medical centre all the way through uni um, and so I kind of knew if the doctor rings you back on the day that um, you've had the scan that something's pretty wrong um, and so he asked me to come in um, and I went in with my best mate um, I dragged her in as well and uh, they basically told me there and then that it's either we're really hoping for tuberculosis or a really weird strain of pneumonia. And if it's not that, then we're looking at cancers. So that night I was like, please be tuberculosis, please be tuberculosis. <laughs> um, but uh, it wasn't. I went and had a biopsy. And so that was Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma. And I had I did, um, I think it was six months um, of chemo. Um, and uh, that was, I suppose, pretty overwhelming because, you know, as a 20 then probably 27-year-old, I knew no one my age that had cancer um, and no, none of my friends knew anyone that had cancer. So we were all like nervous wrecks around each other because no one really knew how to speak to me and I was, you know, so overwhelmed and, you know, terrified. Um, but, uh, yeah, I did my six months of chemo. I didn't need radio um, after that, so I was I suppose in some way lucky um and I lost my hair um still was very uh was very what's the word um stupid but also uh very stubborn with this diagnosis and the way that I kind of went about it and that I didn't want to to affect my life um, and I was very gung-ho about still working. Um, I still wanted, you know, to have a good social life and go out and do things. I think I went to Falls Festival um, halfway through, which really 
I mean, on my first night there, I was like, this was a stupid decision. I'm so tired now. I'm stuck in this campsite. But I went. I did have a good time, but I definitely didn't party the way, that, you know, that I had the previous years. Um, and, um, yeah, and so really maintained, really didn't want cancer to to um, stop me in any way, uh, which probably backfired because then it rela- I relapsed um, eight months later. So I got the all clear, um, went back to normal life uh, and went into remission and then, yeah, eight months later um, it came back and so had round two of Hodgkin's, which was um, I suppose the biggest kick in the guts you can get as a cancer warrior to know that, that you know, it's it's your biggest, hugest fear is that when you're in remission is that it's going to come back because you kind of properly, I think it's almost worse than getting the first diagnosis because you know exactly what you've got to do again and you also, like, have kind of, you've recovered and you've healed and then to know that that's just going to be taken away um, is um, is just shattering. Uh, so did... More chemo, did 10 weeks of um, chemo and then had a stem cell transplant, which was horrific. There's no way to sugarcoat a stem cell transplant. It's really like just, it's really harsh. (laughs) What Um, exactly is it? Excuse my ignorance. No, 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 that's um, totally fine. So in my case, I use my own stem cells, but quite often um, you have to use um, other people's. You have to find a donor for stem cells. I don't know why why some people need a donor and why I was able to have um, my own stem cells. So they kind of extract your stem cells out, which is actually really cool, kind of gross, but really cool. They, they hook you up to a machine for a whole day and they have um, one tube coming out of a huge big uh, vein in your groin weirdly and so the blood cut sucked out of one one um, tube and then it gets siphoned around this machine and spins it around so that they kind of can extract the stem cells um, and then they put the blood back in the other leg and I think they all of my blood was drained and put back in again I think it was like I, I want to say eight or nine times but maybe it was more than that I should I should remember, but it was quite a few years ago. Um, so then they put the stem cells in um, the the freezer, and that's basically like your immune system. So they that's all the good cells that can remake all all of your immune system and give it a reboot. So then what they do is in the lead up to putting those stem cells back in, is it's I think it was eight or nine days of the harshest chemo ever, which would basically be enough to kill you. It wipes all of your cells, so all the cancer cells, which is great, but then also all of your your good cells as well. Um, and the last dose that they give you on a day, which is this horrific, gross red stuff, is the the I had it morning and night for eight days, and then the last the last one is enough to kill you. It's basically poison. But then before it kills you, <laughs> they put your um, stem cells back in and then that starts to reboot and that's um, rebooting without any of the um, any of the cancer cells in there and you start again um, but it's just the recovery after that is like really hard really really hard and I think I was very lucky I was only some people get stuck in hospital for three months I was only in there for two weeks so I did really really well um, I think because I was um, 28 or so a lot of people do this when they're a lot older um, and yeah it was just 
that that was the worst. I said to myself after that, I was like, if that if I ever need to do that again, I'm just going to go to Thailand and meditate the cancer out of my body because I <laughs> never ever want to do that ever again. Going back horrendous. to when you were diagnosed and going through that horrific treatment. What support was there? I know you didn't know anyone your age who was diagnosed. You don't yeah. usually hear about young people being yeah. going through cancer. What 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 support did you come across? Um, so apart from obviously my friends and family, which were absolutely, you know, grade one support, um, uh, there was there was a a foundation called Warwick Foundation, which I think is now shut down, and that was basically a Facebook group, and they had meetups every now and again, and that was for young adults, and that was that was really handy, but it was a little bit, um, it got it was quite heavy, so that maybe sometimes that I could go on there and have good chats and you know offer support, but like any social media that's around cats, and there was some sites are really doom and gloom and everyone goes on there to vent, which I think is needed every now and again, but then some days you just can't read some of those vents because it's very triggering. Um, and this one was this one was really good, but it did, it did get quite heavy every now and again. Um, and the only other thing that I had was I was put in contact with um, an old school friend. His younger sister was diagnosed with the exact same cancer I had um, and she was, so she was a couple of years below me. Um, so we had each other and that was, I always say to anyone that's diagnosed, like find yourself a, a chemo buddy or a cancer buddy because they just, they get it. And they, um, it's so much better than any psychologist that I ever saw or counsellor or talking to any doctor because they just don't properly understand. And, you know, your mates are really great, but they can't really make fun of the situation like another cancer where it can, or they don't, you can't really offload a whole lot of the heavy stuff and not scare the shit out of them. Um, but, Absolutely. you know, someone that's going through it totally gets it and, you know, will, and that doesn't scare, scare them or, you know, it's not too heavy for them. And usually they've got like loads of tips and tricks or they'll just listen and, you know, not, not give you pity or not be terrified. Um, so most how yeah. Kim and I bonded over grief. Um, yeah. Like yeah. We were complete strangers um, until, um, connecting through our mums having cancer and yeah. yeah there's definitely things I can say to Kim because I know she gets it uh, and you don't yeah. want her to get it and you don't want your friends to get it either but yeah. it's so yeah. nice having someone who you can offload to in some way yeah absolutely yeah Emily I'm wondering if you knew much about cancer before you were diagnosed or if anyone close to you had had Hodgkin's before or um, how did you go about learning more about um, Hodgkin's? Um, no, no one. I mean, I know Delta Goodrum had it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and my, my oncologist, the first time I met him, actually said that. He's like, so you have the one that Delta Goodrum has? I'm like, well, thank God it's got a celebrity then. <laughs> um, but that's probably the only only thing that I knew Um and I suppose it was scary trips on the internet, which um, is something that every warrior will do, but is advised not to. Um, I think as I then, um, as I've got, you know, had cancer the third time, I think I was a lot kinder to myself in that I knew that I was like, all right, I'm going to give this one night where I go on the internet and I research, but there is going to be no more and I'm not going, going deep into it. Um, so I suppose, yeah, it was a bit of internet now course like brochures from the um from the hospital but it's I think 
for me anyway, I, I took on enough, but I didn't want to take on too much or I'd take it on at kind of little bits as I was, you know, enough to take on without getting scared or overwhelmed. There's still things that people ask me about Hodgkin's and I'm like, I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm like, I should know because I've had it twice. Same with sarcoma. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) But I suppose in a way sometimes you're just like, I trust my oncologist, I trust my team and I don't really need to know and I think we're very bloody lucky that we can, you know, we're in Australia where we can do that. My mum was like that. She's like, tell me what I need to know and not like another word more. Um, I think, and I was the same before she, um, after she passed away, I allowed myself to learn more because I was like, there's nothing, nothing I can hear now that's going to hurt me more than what it is already. But at the time, it's like, I just, I need to know what I need to know and I don't need to know anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly where I was for the first diagnosis. And I think as, um, as, you know, my relapse and then, having sarcoma um, last year or the year before, um, I think slowly I've been able to take on more and learn more about um, alternative healing, uh, which I just didn't have the capacity to take on the first first one. I was like, no, I just need to know about chemo and that is it. Um, but as, as I've had a couple of trips on the cancer train, uh, I've been happy to, like, read more and, um, and learn more and have more appointments with different types of medical people and healers and um and stuff yeah given your age and gender um did you start having conversations about fertility with your doctor yeah yes because um i had the stem cell transplant so that was pretty much going to wipe out my fertility uh i froze my eggs so i had to do that and i um had those conversations with a boyfriend who is who was I just knew even when I was going into the fertility chat that I'm like I'm not gonna have babies with you I'm like you're I, I like he was he was a really supportive boyfriend at that time but I'm like you I I, I don't think we're going to have a family together and I remember I remember my mum and dad were there and this boyfriend um, and they started putting like all the options out, like, you know, you can freeze embryos or you can freeze your eggs. And I think I was just like, oh, I think I'll just freeze the eggs, thank you. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy big um, conversations to be having at, I think, yeah, 28 then um, and just thinking that I'm not, like that's just being taken off the table for me, the, the um the ability to have kids naturally was it was the first time that I suppose cancer had was taking something that I'd never get back again. What inspired you to start the Bravery Co? I suppose the idea was kind of born the first time that I had cancer in that I wanted to start my own small business that had always been in the back of my head before cancer and I'd been thinking up ideas um, and I was thinking about starting a muesli company and um, a couple of other weird ideas and then cancer happened and there's so I found so many, not problems, well, yes, problems, but, you know, so many things, ways that I could help and problems that I had and problems my friends had. So, first of all, bravery was going to be bravery boxes and it was going to be care packages because I found that, you know, you, I just got so many presents that so many of them were, you know, with the best of intentions and only, you know, given to me with love, but so many bunches of flowers and flowers just die. And also flowers when you're in um, oncology wards, you can't get bunches of flowers. Um, A whole lot of, you know, 
kind of food and chocolates and stuff, but so high in sugar or, you know, the sugariest of treats that, um, and sugar fuels cancer, which is, um, I had, I hadn't read that at least much. And so I was trying to cut sugar down and, um, uh, in the end, uh, in my second diagnosis, I started wearing headscarves uh, and I had so many ladies in the chemo ward stop me and ask me how I was tying them. Um, and so I'd rip mine off and I'd show them how to, how to um, style it. And it was just so lovely to be able to give them just a little bit of confidence so quickly and so easily and help them. So I suppose that, that's when I was like, oh, maybe the scarves will go in the boxes in the end. I didn't have the capital just to buy all these beautiful Australian-made, beautifully um, beautifully packaged products that I wanted. So I started off um, with the scarves and I had three scarves on my website um, and I think I had about five scarves of each design. So I was super small, took some photos and, um, yeah, and that was, that was kind of it. Cancer takes so much from you, control being one of them. Did you feel it was taking your identity and who you were away from you? Yes, yeah, um, in so many different ways. I mean, number one, with the loss of your hair, it's just completely means that your people see your disease first before they see you. Um, and there'd be times, there was a couple of times where I was walking around the supermarket and I'd see my see someone I know, but it would take them a little bit longer to be like, "Oh God, that's Emily." Oh God, and she, you know, and you can see their face, and then you can see their pity, and you can see that they're like stumbling for things to the right way to to talk to you, and it's just uncomfortable, and it's it's yeah, that's that that was a huge loss of just my healthy identity, I suppose, and what um what I normally look like, and and then also I think the the biggest time I felt that my identity was gone was after stem cell transplant and it just, you, you get chemo brain from normal chemo, but this was like chemo brain to the next level where I just felt like smiling was such a, a big effort and I it felt my, my personality had been completely zapped and taken from me and I was just an absolute shell, whereas I couldn't make... I couldn't make decisions and I couldn't keep up with conversations and I was forgetting words and, I mean, it's all it was all temporary and everything's come back kind of. <laughs> like there's days where I'm completely using about 10% of my brain, but um, that was huge and that took a long time to bounce back from. I was just interested in how you found your identity um, after you had cancer twice and at that age it would just have rocked your world as you've said so yeah how did you find yourself again that took a really long time and I think that's one part that the doctors and the nurses don't really um, give you warning about is the time after cancer once all the treatment is finished and once all the appointments finish it just feels like you've kind of fallen off this cancer conveyor belt and left falling and you're like oh my god what the hell just happened to me um and you know it's then that you start to process everything and then um so that's quite hectic and heavy and um i think that's when your anxiety starts to peak as well because then you're like oh my god is it going to come back and rah, rah. but once all of that overwhelm calms down it does give you a really nice opportunity to kind of think about your life and this this happens also when you're doing treatment because for the first time ever in the ages I got the opportunity to stop and think about my life and what I liked and what I didn't like and the people I liked and what I was doing with my life 
and it's very rare in life that you you stop and you stop work like if you're on holidays it might only be for a week but this was you know six months and the second time it was longer than that where I just I I didn't have much else to do but you know lie in my bed and think about things so it was kind of a really lovely thing to then be like okay now I'm ready to make some changes with my life and to reinvent myself. So, yes, I found myself, but I suppose I changed myself because you do you grow and evolve and you've been put in these incredibly uncomfortable and crazy weird situations that you can only grow from once you've overcome them. Um, I suppose like any challenge, if you can overcome a challenge, then you do. There is there is um, growth that happens from that. So, yeah, I it was it was really tough and, and bravery was one of the things that came out of it because I realised that I didn't really love working in advertising um, as much as that was such a big part of me before cancer. It, it made me realise that there's there's not much heart and soul in advertising <laughs> and I realised that, <laughs> realized that um, I wanted to do something uh, good and I wanted to do something that still combined creativity and design but... Um, but was helping people at the same time. So I feel as much as I don't want to have cancer again for the fourth time, God, touch wood, touch a little wood, I'm so, I'm, um, I do feel lucky that it's taken me to here and, you know, and bravery's come out of it. I think that would resonate with so many people. Um, when mum passed away, I went back to my job for a little bit and resigned and I just thought this is one time in my life where I'm allowed to be completely selfish and just focus on myself and if that means yeah. just the goal is to get out of bed and survive the day, then that's what I'll do. And I don't need to worry about other people and you can just yeah. focus on you. You mentioned sarcoma before. How did you get diagnosed with that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a really long saga, my, my medical history. <laughs> um, so I was living in London um, and I found a lump on my neck and uh, which that's you know that's where my Hodgkin's was, um, especially a second time was in was in my neck. Um, so I completely freaked out. Uh, went to the doctors, got fast tracked through everything. Went and saw a lymphoma um, oncologist. Uh, they did um, a, an ultrasound, and it, they're like, "It's not a lymph gland. Do not worry. You know, it's fine. It's actually a." They diagnosed it as a schwannoma, um, which is a benign kind of lump I suppose uh anyway so I was like thank fuck for that um <laughs> went back and I was like thank god right, right. and then it, a couple of months went by and I got stuck in the NHS system and I they didn't I wanted I was then going to see a schwannoma specialist or whoever that would have been um and that appointment didn't come through and then I got lost and then I my, I didn't have a, a you know a set GP so every time I went to the GP I saw someone else and I had to tell my story again anyway things just weren't sitting right with me my gut was saying like this thing is growing there's it's in your neck like why is no one biopsied this just to make sure in the end I got private health insurance um and through that then went and saw a private um I just found a a soft tissue oncologist um and sarcoma specialist without even knowing that it was what a sarcoma was he he was um someone that just looked at lumps and I was just like hey I'm making an appointment with you. I just want to um, get this checked out. I'd like you to do a biopsy. And he looked at my scans and he had, we had another scan. We did an MRI as well. Um, he's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's a schwannoma. And I was like, cool. I just want to biopsy it. Can we biopsy it? 
Um, and he was like, oh, look, it's grown a little bit. So, yeah, let's just give you peace of mind. Anyway, then I went to that appointment um, and, yeah, it ended up being a sarcoma, um, which probably was caused by the radiotherapy that I had the second time round, um, which is a bit shit because then they treated the sarcoma with more radiotherapy. So that makes me really anxious as to what's going to pop up in five years <laughs> again. Um, but, yeah, and then that was sarcoma. So I... Um, Flew back home the next week uh, and um, got back to Melbourne and started treatment for sarcoma, which luckily did not need um, did not need chemo. Um, so that was a blessing, uh, but needed a lot of radiotherapy and a huge um, operation because it was wrapped up in my nerves around my spine. Um, I had I think about ten people in the in the theatre with neurologists and um, uh, oncologists and surgeons and plastic surgeons and loads of people uh, trying to get this thing out without um, without severing all my nerves. In the end, they had to cut some of the nerves and they thought that my um, left arm wasn't, they thought that I'd be able to use it. I woke up and I could move my fingers and I could kind of move my hands. So um, they did better than what they thought and they got it out with clear margins. And that was December of... Uh, 2019 so still in remission still got to make it to the two-year mark before I can kind of breathe easy with that one um and then five year obviously for remission but I think like all cancers I think once once you get past the two-year mark then your chances go go down what went through your mind being diagnosed a third time and facing 10 medical professionals in a room telling you they're operating on your spine, what what went through your mind? I think this one, when they told me, I, I, I think I've always thought in the back of my head, if it comes back the third time, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. So this time I was not, I was gutsy and I was just like, I, one of the first questions I asked was like, is this going to kill me? And he said, no, if we can get this out like the first time and we can get it all out, then you should be fine. But if, if it comes back the next time, then, yeah, it's, it will be It'll be game over. So um, I think, yeah, it, it was weird. This one was, this one, I feel like I, I knew the cancer game so well this time that it, I was just like, oh, I think I was just dumbfounded because I was like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? I have to do this again. Um, and at that stage I thought that I'd be doing chemo and doing the whole the whole lot again. Um but I think I, I think I was just more angry as well because I was like I knew this was something that should have been taken seriously and I was I would have you know I was very angry also because I was like if this has got to a point where we can't properly treat it because you've everyone's been faffing around I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to explode um, but luckily it didn't get to that so um, it was good came back to Melbourne where we have an amazing sarcoma. Um, uh, specialists and yeah, they, they treat sarcoma sapetomac. But it, I think this one was also scary because unlike Hodgkin's, there's it's sarcoma is a rare cancer. No one knows that much about it, um, and there's not many treatments for it. So it's basically get it out and then hope for the best. Um, there's even when they do chemo, the chemo is sometimes not like I think there's a fifty fifty chance the chemo will actually do anything, um, and so it's. Yeah, it's a scary one. 
it is a scary one. You talk a lot about anxiety um, in your Instagram stories, and mm. I sort of I haven't experienced cancer, but I definitely experienced scanxiety from my own mum and yeah um, I'm just wondering what you do to help your own scanxiety and in the lead up to those scans is there anything <laughs> you can I wish do? so many girls ask me they're like what do, how do I I'm like man I don't know <laughs> I wish I had some like I wish I had some magic potion like CBD oil does help actually so <laughs> that's actually really good um for me in my brain I I always like to Think about the worst case scenario of if it does come back and plan backwards so that I am mentally prepared for if if they tell me that this is something wrong, then I'm I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, so I know, you know, that's fine. I'm gonna take take time off work. I'm going to, you know, move to Byron Bay. I'm gonna be doing my treatment up there. I'm gonna make sure that I'm in the sunshine, I'm getting vitamin D. I don't know. I just I plan my I plan myself out like that, but that's what at least what I did um, the second time and just trying to not sit around in the house, not doing something constantly on walks like the day before or a couple of days before or catching up with friends or just doing the things that make me super happy and, um, yeah, yeah, try not to think about it too much. <laughs> did getting cancer in your 20s stop you from doing anything? It, it cancelled a few trips. Uh, and the second time I cancelled quite a few festival tickets. Um, I think it also, it, had I have wanted to stay in advertising, it really, I, I feel, you know, kind of it took about a year out of my, my career life, which was kind of heartbreaking when I got back and the people that were at my level when I when I was first diagnosed were kind of working their way up. They'd been doing these amazing projects and um, been making great ads and I kind of missed opportunities in that way. I think luckily for me I, um, I knew that I didn't want to be in advertising for that much longer, but that was that was a bit of a kick in the guts to be like, oh, no, I can't go for a promotion now because, you know, I'm, I'm kind of that six months or year really for the second time behind everyone. Um, Grief, don't get me wrong, is not the same as going through your cancer battle, but I think it's something similar for me. It definitely gave me a different outlook on life and it was all about quality over quantity. Did it affect your relationships with family or friends? Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. I realised that there was, you know, some friends that I just didn't want to hang out with again, um, some people that, you know, maybe whinged about things and bitched about things that I just, I think your bullshit radar is just on point after you've had cancer. You're like, I don't need to listen to you anymore. God, it's, why are you even whinging about that? It's just not even, Yeah. It, you're healthy, you've got everything in the world shut up <laughs> so I think it's been made me become quite impatient with people even some of my, my good friends there'll be sometimes where you know they're going through a stage where they're just stuck in the rut and I'm just like move on like come on <laughs> I'll listen to you for a little while but after a while I'm just gonna be like no <laughs> I say that to my partner I'm like before this I was a nice person <laughs> like yeah, yeah now I'm just yeah. I'm blunt and I probably seem like a grumpy 80 year old man but yeah I think you're you're right about that bullshit radar like it just yeah, comes yeah. on point yeah you become impatient but probably in a good way I, I think did it make you reconsider um having kids before you fell pregnant yeah while I was doing all the fertility and stuff I, I wasn't with my partner that I'm with now 
So I always, whenever I was dating afterwards, it would be that awkward kind of like you get to however many dates and you're going to have to, I felt like I had to kind of give them a heads up and be like, so if you guys, if you definitely want kids, then, you know, I'm not a safe bet with the kids thing and rah, 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 I, you know, have to have that conversation. So it was front of mind a fair bit, especially during my single single time um, during during the dating time. Um and with my partner, um, when we started dating, you know, it was always like, well, maybe we'll have to adopt or obviously we'll give IVF a go. Um, and then thinking that, you know, we'll probably have to come back and wait and not waste, but spend 40 grand or so on, on IVF. Like it's, yeah, it made the thought of family and kids a lot more complicated. But in a way, I suppose it, it gave me the time to get my head around that as well. And I think that, there are a lot of women out there that just think that they can have kids and then they're forced to think that fertility, have the fertility um, conversation when they really want kids, whereas in a way I had five years to think about it and in the end it didn't even matter anyway because my body sorted itself out and, <laughs> and figured it out, um, uh, figured it out all by like, itself. Um, finding out that you were pregnant, was it a complete uh, surprise out of the blue? A completely completely, completely out of the blue. Um, and it wasn't, I, it wasn't really like, I wasn't super stoked because I just had an operation the week before as well. So I think the first thing that came through my head was like, oh my God, I've probably killed the baby because like I've had, I had to have a, um, a nerve repairing uh, operation. So I was under for like four or five hours um, and I just thought my period was late because my period is completely all over the place. Um, uh, and, yeah, it was only because I started craving red cordial, uh, which my mum had started craving, and I had a friend that was coming around uh, and she was like, let's get a bottle of wine. I'm like, great, let's do that. And I was like, in the back of my head, I was like, I should probably just do a pregnancy test because it is weird that it's been this late. And it, and it is strange that, like, you know, I had my mum in the back of my head knowing that she craved red cordial. And I did the test and then I was like, I came out and I was like, oh, my God, P, who's my partner, and I'm like, God, are we pregnant? And he's like, what? <laughs> so then then we had to go and have a conversation with, um, with you know, my oncologists and be like, um, so they'd also told me, my oncologist had also said to me, um, I'd, I'd asked him two months ago, I'd said, oh, I think we want to start doing IVF this year. He kind of advised not to. He advised to maybe wait a year or two to make sure that I was completely in remission and that this the sarcoma would not come back. Because it's like if you fall pregnant and it's, you know, obviously you're going to invest a lot of money in that, but then we need to, you know, you need to do treatment, then you just, let's just try and avoid that, that, um, that happening. Um, so then I had to ring him and be like, um, you know that thing that you told me not to do? Well, I kind of went ahead and did it. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, it's done now, isn't it? So I, I think once we had those conversations and they were like, it's it's fine. I mean, it's not what we advised, but you like it's happened and just, let's just go with it. And then I had the first scan to make sure that, um, you know, if there was a heartbeat, then I was excited. So it took a long time <laughs> for the excitement to happen. It was more... It was more, oh, my God, are they going to tell me that I shouldn't have this baby? Have I killed this baby because of the operation? Is it still alive? And once we had, like, the, the first scan, then, I, then we were like, wow, 
I am gonna have a kid. <laughs> so it was a bit of a roller coaster of all the emotions. Wow. <laughs> and how has um, motherhood changed you? It's definitely, I don't know if it slowed me down or like sped me up. Um, it's, it's a completely wild ride. And I think, um, I don't think I knew what I was in for. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, it's really hard, but it's really, really hard. And I think also coming at it being I'm 35 now uh, and used to my independence, used to my freedom, it was it was a complete, again, adjustment of being like, oh, wow, I, I this kid needs me and, you know, I am doing everything for them. So it's it's been a, a crazy, um, I suppose, yeah, another another time to kind of readjust and find myself again um, because now my world is all about him, um, which is really, it's really lovely. It's just completely different, I think, about what I was doing like, this time last year and it's just worlds apart. Now I play on the floor with balls for pretty much most of the day, <laughs> whereas last year I was doing, you know, 10 hours of bravery and I was so absorbed with my business baby and now I'm, now I'm um, all about Sid. What's next for Bravery and Co? Um, oh, so much. So uh, we've got some amazing new designs coming out. Uh, we've got a couple that um, are due to come out next month, so that's exciting. Uh, I am making some new hats. We are making some new headbands for chicks to wear um, after they've finished treatment and you're trying to tame your crazy um new hair and quite often curly curly hair so uh that they'll be out later this year that's really um really exciting i was hoping to do some more public speaking um this year but <laughs> i don't know if COVID's really gonna <laughs> let events uh happen but um i think this year is more for me at least personally a, a year to figure out kids and business um which now since six months so I'm starting to um, get back in the swing of it. Um, we're doing a lot more interviews with uh, Cancer Warriors, which is really lovely as well, and they are just the most incredible, um, incredible stories from so many women and a couple of guys as well um, just that have everyone's, you know, gone through the cancer, um, on the cancer train, but it's everyone's come out with, just a different perspective or a different different um, learning from it and growing from it. And it's just, they really are amazing stories. So if you haven't read any of them, then jump on my Instagram and have a look, um, have a read through them. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's a couple more big projects that are coming up, but, but you'll just have to wait and see for, for them. Emily was an absolute joy to speak with a ray of light in the often bleak cancer journey. She's impacted thousands of lives by sharing her beautifully designed headscarves, rap tutorials, and important discussions about scanxiety. Until next time, I'm Susie Nee. And I'm Kim Landy. And this has been the Aftershock Podcast.